Hey everyone, this is Matt Kamen, co-founder of Envision Consulting and the host of the podcast, Nonprofit on the Rocks. Before the pandemic, the part of my job that I loved the most was going on happy hours with my clients, with nonprofit leaders, and just anybody who was a badass do-gooder in nonprofit. Over drinks, I'd learn why they got into nonprofit, what inspires them, what keeps them motivated, and what drives them insane. When everything shut down, I realized how much I missed those conversations. And honestly, drinking alone right now isn't that much fun. So then it occurred to me that not only do these conversations not have to end, but maybe there are like one or two listeners out there who'd like to listen. People like me, who are tired of the same boring industry podcast and want something different. So pull up a seat, pour yourself a drink, and join me in the conversation. Hey everyone, my one or two listeners out there, I want to welcome you to my very first episode of Nonprofit on the Rocks. I am your host and Envision Consulting co-founder, Matt Kamen, and I really hope that you take one or two things out of these interviews. Today, I'm talking to my friend and original badass do-gooder, John Brower. John is the president and CEO of New Horizons, which is an incredible nonprofit in the Valley in Los Angeles, working with developmentally disabled adults. John, Welcome to my very first podcast. I can't promise it's not going to be the last. You are my first guest, so there's no guarantees that we're doing this again, right? I mean, that's pretty fair. Depending um, on how it goes. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, we're calling it Nonprofit on the Rocks. What do you think? You like that? Well, I would just want to clarify that that doesn't mean it's because my nonprofit's just about to go over the brink. <laughs> really, as much more to do with the fact that we could have a cocktail while we're talking. I like that. Yeah, and so but before we start, I do want to pour myself something, and I was curious what you're drinking. Okay, so, uh, you know, it was a last minute decision, but I'm having a glass of white wine. Very California. Okay. What kind of white wine are you drinking? Uh, it is Matchbook Chardonnay. Oh, okay, fine. I'm opening up my bottle of Four Roses. I'm pouring it in a very fancy glass because we don't get to go out anymore. So, first of all, cheers, my friend. Cheers. To goodness. Mm. Okay, so our four listeners, maybe five, I don't know how many are going to be out there. I mean, your wife's not going to listen, my husband's not going to listen, so my staff's not going to listen. No. Who knows? Mine will if I pay them to, so just know that. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to drop off real fast, but, uh, but the point is hopefully they'll be drinking as well. And I know I texted you to join me, but did I tell you anything about why we're doing this or what we're doing or how we're doing it or what we're talking about? Nothing. I'm, no. I'm, I'm completely open to your, your new universe. Well, you're a very good person for joining me. So here's the deal. I think you know. Like four days a week, I went out to get a drink. I went out for happy hour. I got to see people I like. Not great for my liver, but to be honest, neither is COVID. I don't know about you, but I've been drinking a lot. And so instead of drinking to myself every day and crying into my pillow, my staff said, do a podcast. People may want to listen to you. I don't know. So the goal for today is just to talk shit. I miss people. I miss people. I miss seeing you. I miss seeing people's faces. And I want to have honest conversations. How we got into nonprofit, why we do nonprofit. People will call me all the time. I'm sure they call you to do this kind of stuff. So we're going to talk about that. That's all right with you. And then, you know, maybe a few issues in the world. Maybe a little bit about your nonprofit. Maybe people could like donate to your nonprofit at the end. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about. And I think that makes sense. We'll find out. Well, let's see where it takes us. I'm in. Again, this is my first, so we'll do some lightning questions at the end. Nobody can see you, nobody can see me, thankfully. So as you wanted me to tell our listeners, you're young, handsome, very attractive, full head of hair. You have that fancy ring, the TikTok fancy ring. So like, you know, 
My lighting is brilliant. Your lighting is spectacular. <laughs> never, you've never looked younger. Uh, so really, none of, none of what we started with has been true so far. So I, that's, a good, that's a good premise to go with. On that note, tell me a little bit about you and like why you do nonprofit. What makes you happy? What you know, gets you up in the morning to continue to work in this crazy world? So I have to say probably the reason I still do this 30 some odd years into the nonprofit world is I think of that as my disability. You, you can't do this for this long and not have something wrong with you. I just think the nonprofit world, it, you know, people don't quite understand, I think if you haven't actually been living it or breathing it, that it's equally as hard as working in the, the for-profit side and you just add maybe a million other people have opinions about what your nonprofit should look like and how the services should look and uh, where you should geographically be located. You name it, everyone's got an opinion about everything. And so it's uh, a good friend of mine once said, it's like slowly being pecked to death by chickens. You know, it's actually really true. It's really funny because people call me all the time, we want to get into nonprofit. Look, I'm making a half a million dollars a year as a lawyer, but I want to do good and give back. And I'm always like, maybe you don't. So this is not great that we've already started to tell people how terrible it is. So maybe instead of being pecked by chickens, maybe say one good thing that you like that today, today, you were at work today, I'm assuming, right? I was indeed. I, so all, all joking aside, I love this field. I mean, it is, you know, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment, but it is something where you can work really hard. And by Friday, I cannot wait for my week to be over. I'm tired. I don't want to think about it anymore. And by Sunday afternoon, I'm already plotting what Monday's going to look like because you really do have a chance to affect change. And before, before working in the nonprofit world, I owned a construction company. And before that, I owned a dental lab. Before that, I ran a series of restaurants. All interesting, all fun, all challenging. I, I think of myself as like a serial entrepreneur. So I have always enjoyed those things. But at the end of the day, that was not enough. And the nonprofit world, I actually do feel like in my small fiefdom, you move the needle just a little bit in a direction of, of making the world a little better place. And while that sounds very grandiose and, you know, la la, I really believe that. And so that's what charges me and gets me to come up and start again tomorrow, you know? I mean, I want to jump back up for one second. By the way, that was all very lovely. But you you owned restaurants. Well, I ran restaurants. I never owned them. Oh, okay. But, you're happy. And by the way, you're probably really happy you're not doing that now. I'll tell you, actually, this is a side story, which is the last business that I opened for my nonprofit in Virginia was a restaurant. So it was a full service bakery and cafe, 125 seats, great organization. Anyway, cut, cutting to the chase, they have decided to close it. Mm -hmm. And so they have offered it to me if I want it. And I really struggled with it because I love the restaurant business, but it's another thing that you think for our listeners out there, I really have no hair. And before starting the restaurant, I did have some left. And so to run a restaurant and employ people with disabilities to do it, you know, it was great. It, it did so many things, but it was just a little bit of a shit show. So I, I, anyway, I've decided not to do that, but I do love the restaurant business as well, but you have to make decisions in the life. You know, my, my very first job that I had at college, um, I was a host at a, at a Mexican restaurant. And it was the worst job I've ever had. Um, <laughs> I got yelled at every day. And I remember I had a celebrity come in who, by the way, was you know pretty cool. And my boss told me, don't ever look her in the eye. Don't ever address her by her name. Like, don't do any of that. Because, you know, she's a celebrity. She can't take it. So I did. I totally looked at her in the face. And I was like, by the way, just so you know, I think you're amazing. I think you're awesome. And like, you know, you're a great actress. So thank you for doing such great work. And she looked at me and she was like, I'm old enough to be your mother. Please don't talk to me again. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> Actually, you, you were hitting on her or what was No, 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 I was hitting on her and I was like, I'm gay. But you know, her gaydar was obviously not great either. <laughs> so actually that's the question for you then. Who's the most famous person that you've ever met 
or been in an elevator with or been around? Probably the most famous is maybe Cher. Living in California, you have access to folks that you don't necessarily in the rest of the world, but I was in Las Vegas and I had ordered myself a lovely drink. But this is now, this is going to date me now. You still go to the casinos and you had buckets of coins. And I was walking. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, I don't remember what. Were you right. a bucket of yeah. coins? No, I can't. I <laughs> exactly. Anyway, <laughs> never, never mind that. But I was walking through the casino holding my bucket of coins and I believe probably a planter's punch with a 151 float thinking about how great life was, and I ran into Shear's bodyguards directly. Wow. Who bounced me back, the drink went all over me, and at least Cher stopped and said, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize, that, you know, it's our, our, and all I could say was, you're Cher. <laughs> it, was a, it was a profound moment. <laughs> I think maybe. she may have already known that too. <laughs> <laughs> maybe practice next time for what you can say. Exactly. Uh, you know, every single gay guy listening to this show, which by the way is just me, fell on the ground. So that's a phenomenal story. <laughs> who the mo- I don't know who the most famous person is that I've ever met. No idea. I should know better, right? If I'm asking you the question, I should know. All right, I'm gonna think about that for the rest of the day. Well, when okay. I do my podcast and ask you, you'll have time to think. I mean, uh, I'm so tired with all these podcasts. The whole, and by the way, another thing of like why I pushed back is that we just took a road trip and I had to listen to like 20 podcasts just to like see who else is out there and what they're saying. And they're kind of boring. How we could make this not boring, you have to let me know. I don't know. You may have, you may have selected the first wrong guest, but I'm just saying, just. <laughs> by the way, we've just lost one of our four listeners. Now we're, three. we're down to three. So like, let's, boredom, right? <laughs> let's keep them, let's keep them. All right, so tell me what else somebody out there listening is gonna wanna know about you in terms of your nonprofit career. When I was running the construction company, owning the construction company, it was the only job I think I've ever had that I really didn't like. And I was on vacation. I was in Florida. This is, again, is a long time ago. But we were driving through Kissimmee. And every six blocks was another crazy gift buildings where, you know, it was just, just crap after crap after crap. And then I realized some point during this vacation that this is what I did for a living. And it was really depressing. So it made, I made up my mind I was going to go back to school. So I went back to school, got my master's degree. And because I liked the business side of all this, my thought was I have my degrees in clinical psychology. And I thought I will open a series of counseling centers. And that's what I thought I wanted to do, which was, you know, sounded like a lot of fun. I could kind of do both of the sides that I like. Anyway, as part of getting your master's in clinical psychology, you have to do two nine-month internships. They found me a place in Lafayette working with folks with disabilities. And I said, you know, I've never worked with anybody with a disability. I don't know, but I'll go to the interview. I went to the interview and said, um, here's my fear. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I do? I just don't even understand how this all works. And, And their response to me was, hey, you will never be left alone. We're going to give you this intense training. This is going to be great. So I said, yes. The first day I showed up, my trainer did not show up, but I was alone with you know, a dozen people with disabilities. And by the way, I am the least sports inclined person you'll ever meet. And so I was in charge of the recreation for the day. So you talk about like, oh, let's just see how this is going to play. And by the end of the day, I was smitten. And within two weeks, I decided I'm going to change my whole career path. And I knew I wanted to work in the disability field. That was my first foray into nonprofits because I really didn't understand even, you know, as a nonprofit, you think, well, you're not supposed to make a profit. And the fundamentals are very different than trying to make money. That, that's how I got on the path to nonprofitdom. I have two questions, two follow-up questions. Were you married at the time? I was. And my wife was very supportive and also realized that we were going to take a vow of poverty. Right, right. Exactly. So she, while she was very supportive, she also kept giving me a look like, oh, Lord, what have I done marrying this man? Right, right. Yeah. So like, if you had $10 million right now, what would make her happy? 
if I had it or she had it. <laughs> well, she probably have left you for a second husband by now. It's, it's probably something much younger and better. It's not. It's not things you want. It's time, right? It's time to do stuff with your family and to go away and see the world. And it's just such a big world. And I will tell you the one thing about nonprofit work, which is not frankly all that different than, than the rest of the for-profit world, but that is that it just, it's all consuming. You can, you can easily work 60 or 70 hours and still feel like there's more to do. So it's, it's hard to make yourself break away, take the vacation because in nonprofits, you wear so many hats. And so that's the piece that if, if there were more money and you could hire more people, I mean, frankly, I would be a donor to my own organization. I would hire somebody to do some of my work and I would play a little bit more. So I, you know, I remember when you first got your job, we talked a lot about you needing to take time off and you didn't yeah. and you haven't. And now COVID hit, so right. you've got nowhere to go. But if tonight <laughs> you could be at the airport and don't worry about time, don't worry about money, just you can go anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world. Where would you get on that plane? Oh gosh. Um, when we don't have to wear a fucking mask and we yeah, could actually like- Exactly. Get, get if, like, if we're talking mask free, I mean, I haven't done Europe since I was in my teens. I went almost every year for multiple years in a row with my grandmother, and I haven't seen much of it since then. So I would love to go and, and have an adult perspective going through there. And then there's just the rest of the world I want to see. Everything I find fascinating. I love finding you know new places, meeting the folks there, going to the restaurants and the bars and the places that off the beaten path. To me, that is the joy of, of really getting to know people in different cultures and different areas. I love it. I could do that, frankly. I could do it six months a year, I think. So listen, as soon as COVID goes away, or, you know, we could, I don't know, leave our houses again, you have to promise me that you get on a plane and you go somewhere. Maybe not uh, six months. Maybe your board members just told you just, well, if they're listening, they're not listening. But maybe they're going to fire you if you take six months off. I mean, that's, you know, that's but, fair. You have to promise me that you're going to get on a plane and go to Europe. You know what? Unfortunately, we were planning on going this fall. So I still have my tickets. It could happen. It could so, happen. Yeah. Yeah, so so at least there's a likelihood. It's just you know the, the world was against us this time, but but we'll we'll make it happen. The other thing I would love to do, which is completely the opposite of that, I want to go to Tahiti or Bora Bora or somewhere where I can get in one of those huts where you look down in the water and all you think about is what you're going to eat, what time is cocktail hour, and which beach do you want to go to. That also sounds quite appealing. I was lucky enough to go to Tahiti um, and it was, we had one of those huts above the water. It was the most amazing experience I've had. Thank you for drinking some wine, finally. It was like the most phenomenal. I hugely recommend you do that. Um, God, it's beautiful. So beautiful. And by the way, if it's any consolation to you, we were supposed to be on a plane to go to the south of France right now, oh, tomorrow. Oh, that's awesome. That's, that's too bad, but I mean, what a great spot to go. I was an exchange student there for six weeks and had a phenomenal experience. And I think that's where you really, you dive into the culture somewhere and you just realize we are such a small part of the world. We're just a little speck and it's just so fun to, to learn all that. I, I do want to say, you know, maybe in my next life, I am going to come back as you because you do <laughs> seem to take vacations and have a good life and you do look young and, and it's all wrong. Well, well, first of all, that's the Botox. I've been doing it for 20 years now, 20 years. And uh, I don't have children. So I have a lot more money than everybody else. I mean, that's, okay, you know, I like that. There's that. All right, let's get back to your nonprofit. <laughs> let's so talk about Botox. <laughs> I know, you know, seriously, I can see myself in here. It doesn't look that bad. In, it doesn't really look that bad in here. So Zoom doesn't, Zoom I feel like makes me look a little bit younger. Okay. I don't know. You can look at my face. You can tell me. I don't know. 
you look great. I, I'm, I'm looking at my own face and I would like just to move that aside. But anyway, that's another whole story. Do you know what's really funny actually? Somebody was telling me the other day that like the reason why we're all so sick of Zoom is because we keep staring at ourselves. So like, I'm not looking at you, I'm looking at me and I'm staring at myself all day. So, I don't know. I don't know if that's true, but uh, I definitely- I'm, I'm a little bored with me. So it's, it's time to move on. So are our two listeners, because one again just popped off. <laughs> Another one just died from the whole <laughs> experience. Right, seriously. Okay, wait, so let's go back. So your wife supported you for whatever reason, and you got into nonprofit. Tell me if somebody called you and said, I really want to give back. I want to do something good. What would you tell them? I guess I would ask what their underlying motivation is. So is it that they're missing something in their lives, that this is something they've always wanted to do? There's certainly many ways to give them back, right? You can be a board member and you can have a huge impact on organization in terms of setting policy and helping to create the momentum of moving the organization forward. You could also become a staff member or the leader, but that's like you're saying, I want to flip my whole world upside down. And maybe you take a baby step in that first before you dive into it. Personally, I, I, you know, I say all that in half in jest, but, you know, I left the construction field, went into nonprofit, really had no idea how complex and challenging it would be. And I will say my vision was the nonprofit world would be five years at the most because, you know, at some point I didn't want to take a vow of poverty and I'd hope to make more money. And, but you realize at some point, you know, it gets under your skin and it's always a challenge. And if you're somebody who likes a challenge, this is it. There's always something to do. There's always some new conundrum to solve. And also you can be a donor and you can be a donor in a way that can have influence over an organization to say, look, I want to give to a reading program or I want to do something where people with disabilities get more community outings or there's all kinds of ways to have influence in the world. It's just, you've got to pick out kind of the way, the match that works for you. I like that. Thank you. So my first job was at 26, I took over a homeless shelter, which by the way, no, nobody should hire a 26 year old to run a homeless shelter. Look, I lied on my resume, that's how I got the job. I tell everybody that, they know that, <laughs> totally. But like, it was really interesting. So I thought also like, this is an amazing organization. I found out some things. I found out that one of my predecessors had sex with a volunteer in her office, on her table, and also stole about $100,000 and then got fired. And so I took over that kind of organization. Delightful. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Something that I did that I'm really proud of is that we built affordable housing. I got one of the largest HUD grants that year to build affordable housing. And it was awesome. I actually remember taking one of my homeless adult clients, walking him to an apartment and signing his lease. He'd never had an apartment before. It was the very first time in his life. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal experience for me. And that's what I, that's what I love about nonprofit. So if you could think of, if you could talk about one memory one thing that you did, one accomplishment that just makes you really proud and really happy. That's the big things, right? So you, you took a big chunk and you really changed somebody's life, which there's no way you can't buy it. You can't read about it. You just have to do it, right? To have that become part of your genetic makeup then. But there's also the, the everyday little victories. Like sometimes I'll sit in on an intake and you think, I have no idea how this person's going to do here. I don't get it. I don't see it. They're having behaviors during the intake. And then... Three months later, you're somewhere and they're thriving. Six months later, they're working at a Starbucks. And you think, holy shit, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. So it's the surprise in the human condition that you can be just, it's like, it's lovely. So I, that's, that's my day-to-day -day thing. It's just once you get to know who your clientele are and what you do, 
just these small victories, sometimes somebody taking a bus for the first time, or I can tell you a story of a client that probably for two years, I passed in the hallway, this is in Virginia, who I would say, good morning, hello, what you, never an answer, never a response ever. Hmm. Well, we got him into a music therapy class. This is somebody on the autism spectrum. And mind you, this is Virginia, so the first class we put him in was a country music class. He did not do well in that. <laughs> Nothing can change. Let's just put it that way. And then, and then we tried him in a pop rock. Not so much. We got him in a rap class. And suddenly this man just took off. And cool. so we taught him, and it, by we was not me, certainly much more expertise staff than I have personally, but taught him to rap and to be able to talk to people in a rap. One day I'm walking down the hall, have zero expectation. I say hello to him and he raps a hello to me. You know, I would offend the viewers by trying to replicate that rap, but just go with me on this to say it was brilliant. And I went to my office and I'm a mean old curmudgeon. I've done this a long time. And I literally sat there and cried because just to see that kind of a change where you can have an impact on somebody who cannot communicate and suddenly has found an avenue in the world to do that. So the small victories are, are big too. But I will say that probably the single biggest thing that I'm proud of is we had a fairly small staff in Virginia, very tight. And so I did all the grant writing as, as well as being the CEO. And so during the time of the Obama era, when they had stimulus money coming out, I wrote a grant. We owned a piece of property that I was going to build a new facility on. Uh, 17 acres. It was this 45,000 square foot building. Very proud of it. And I wrote this grant. We got a million dollars. We were rated number one in the state of Virginia. I was very proud of that. Wow. You can only do that. Exactly. For profit. 100%. That's right. So it reminds me, kind of, sort of, when I ran a homeless shelter, we had a gala. A local politician came out to give a speech. And I hate when politicians talk at, at events because all they do is talk about how amazing they are. Nobody wants to listen. Nobody wants to listen. Anyway, so he came out this election year and he said, if I'm lucky enough to be elected, I will give this organization $500,000. And I'm making that vow tonight in front of all of you in this room. Oh. We'll write them a check for $500,000. And I was like, I said to myself, holy crap, this is amazing. I had it on video. Right, um, once in a lifetime. Yeah, 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 exactly. So fast forward, he won the election. Not, I'm sure, because of that, but you know, he did. <laughs> And I went the next day to his office and I was like, so, you know, I'm here to collect. And when, when do you think you, and how are you going to pay me? Do you want to do this installments, whatever? And he looked at me and he was like, I just did that to get reelected. You're not getting shit. Get out of my office. And I was like, okay, well that was, that was an experience. And that was a lesson that I learned. No more politicians at any of the events I've ever thrown. Wow. He did not ever give any money? Not a dime. There was a moral in there somewhere that you shamed him into it or... Well, first of all, this is New Jersey, so I don't believe anything that happens in New Jersey. And second of all, I hope somebody digs it up and figures it out because hopefully he's running for something right now and uh, he won't win. Yeah, it doesn't do with Bridgegate though, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not saying. (laughs) I'm not saying one way or another if that happened. So we have a few minutes left and I want to get back to people wanting to like be in this industry, learn a little bit more from you, all that good stuff. So two questions and then I've got some lightning questions for you. Okay. Right, fair? When I was getting my master's, I remember meeting the CEO of the LA Food Bank. And you know, you're a CEO. You don't have any time. You're always working, working weekends, working nights. But he agreed to meet this 23, 24-year-old in his office downtown. And I don't know how I got to him. And he taught me a little bit about how to get a job, how to get into nonprofit, how to break in, and then ultimately how to run my own nonprofit. So if somebody were lucky enough to sit in front of you in your office, if it's me, I'm my 23-year-old self coming to you saying, how do I take over an organization like what you're doing? What do you tell me to do? 
Well, well, first let me say that happens all the time. And I love it because the world was very kind to me when I went from the for-profit side into the nonprofit side. And I called anybody who would take my call to say, I don't understand how this budget works. and I don't understand the process. Just the world took good care of me to teach me the things I needed to do. And I feel like, you know, some 30 some odd years later, I, there's a give back to that, that I, I, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've done that either with folks that are in school trying to figure out what they want to do or folks making a career change or even folks from other countries that come and say, we don't have the same kind of nonprofit situation you do, but the fundamentals are the same. Help me. Love it. Basically, I would just say you got to, you got to find something you feel some passion for. So there are so many great causes. So in my case, it was disability services, but I know so many people who love the arts or who, you know, have such a passion for recycling and saving, you know, the planet and, it almost has to be a passion project, right? To do this and not go insane over it because it is difficult and you think we're all gonna hold hands and sing Kumbaya, but you still get sued and you still have all the things that go on with a normal business, you know, or, or a cause or something that not everybody buys into or people are opposed to or whatever. So you gotta have something that really gets you up every day and, and you know gives you your charge. The second thing is I would say, unless you're brave and rich, you probably shouldn't just quit and do everything and jump into it because I do have dear friends who have kind of done that and then like, okay, well, this was a mistake. How do I get back out of it? <laughs> so you dip your toe in the water. You can volunteer. You can shadow somebody. You can read up on a nonprofit to get a little bit of a sense of what it feels like. And then you just got to commit and do it, right? It's not for everybody, but the folks that I have seen that have gotten into this, these are just some of the greatest people in the world. I, I'm so blessed to call these people my friends. I like that. I like that a lot. So we are in obviously a COVID market. It's not, it's not great. The job market's not fantastic. What, what advice would you have for somebody right now looking for a job? First test negative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, by the way, every, every single night at like 3 a.m. I wake up to pee because that's what happens as you get older, right? And then you, go, you probably pee like three times a night now at this point, right? You know, that, that was a low blow, but I'll tell you, it's true. So I can't even, I can't even be mad about it. <laughs> so every morning I wake up and I have a sore throat. I'm thinking to myself, great, I finally have COVID. It's happened, <laughs> I have it. Um, and every morning I wake up at like, you know, 9 a.m. because I've gone to bed at 2 a.m. the night before watching TikTok. It's my problem. I don't. So uh, yeah, get a test. Fine. That's negative. All right, I'm with you. Now what? I mean, probably now is one of the more difficult times to get into the field, just because all the nonprofits that I know, not just in the disability field, but in general, we're all scrambling. We don't know what the money's going to look like in the next year or two, and we don't know how the staffing patterns are going to go and what happens after the triple P winds down. And so it's a, it's a tough time to break in right now. On the other hand, nonprofits more than ever are not just hiring folks that have a social service, you know, big heart mentality. We also need people that are really smart, that are really good in their industry. So if you're good at IT, look, we're still looking for IT people. If you're good in finance, we can teach you how to work with, with whatever our cause is, right? As long as you have an openness and a willingness to learn about it. But I guess this is my 12th social enterprise that I've run over time. So I started by hiring people who believed in the cause and quickly learned that's not my core group, right? I got to get people that are experts. So if I'm going to run a restaurant, I got to get somebody who's run a restaurant and then I'll teach them to work with folks with disabilities. So whatever it is you're really good at, that's your entree in because you bring a value that somebody else doesn't have. And so you have an in that I think can really have such a profound influence on where the nonprofit goes. I like that. But, I like but it's that. a tough time in COVID, I tell you. It's a really tough time and it's a yeah. really hard market right now. It is. Uh, a really hard market. Okay, so two last questions about your job. What keeps you up at night? You know, aside from finances, right? Because that's a given. We always have to bring in more money. 
you know, if you asked me six months ago, the answer would be very different. But right now, my favorite part is seeing the clients on a daily basis. And I love interacting with the staff. I don't get any of that now. And it's not the same on, you know, your Zoom calls. So I do worry how my staff are doing and how clients who are really housebound and some of those folks have behaviors and, and really love routine, do so well because of routine and all that's gone out the window, right? So it's the, the kinds of things of how do I make sure that I'm really still connecting? Are we still making a difference even though folks are not on the campus and are not in their jobs in the community or, or much less so? We've had to make this sharp right turn. And so you always worry, what else could I do? How could I do it better? Because this is just unprecedented. And I don't know what stuff I'm going to get paid for and what I'm not. I just have to feel like if I'm doing the right thing, the money will follow and ask me a year from now if I'm fired for all this. But <laughs> I mean, I really do believe that that's all we can do. And as the directives come down, I kind of feel like, okay, well, we've, we've made good choices, but as long as those choices follow what, you know, the long-term needs of the agency and the clients are, we'll be okay. But that is the thing, like, what else could we do? There's always seems like there's more. Or also what's going to come next. I'm just waiting for the earthquake to hit California and we can just be done. Like, let's just move on. Well, someone, the fires are helping, you know. The fires are great. And someone said that there's like an asteroid that's going to hit the earth on like November 2nd. I don't buy it, but like maybe before the election, we'll get an asteroid and call it a day. Who knows? It's uh, good life. I can't complain. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing, despite everything and all the bullshit that's happening, what keeps you motivated? I love this job. I love people. To see my staff succeed, I mean, it's such a cliche. It's, it's going to sound bullshitty, but I love what I do. You know, I just can't wait to get in and, you know, mix it up. To me, it's a puzzle. You finally get the last piece in. You've worked hours and hours and hours to get this puzzle done. You finish it, and then the next day something rumpled it, and part of the puzzle's broken again. You just never finish, and I, I love that. I think we're in the human service field, or I am, for a reason, and it's very satisfying to me, the motivation is I see change and it's not always fast, but it is present. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we have like 30 clients right now and they're all extraordinarily challenging. You have a board. I have 30 boards to deal with. But I do think it's that when you see that you've actually made a difference in somebody's life, you've signed their lease, you, you know, whatever it is, you got them into sports, you got them to graduate college, whatever it is, yep. that's what gets you going. That's the only thing that, that keeps totally. you going. And sometimes that, that one thing, That'll carry you a year, right? It's not even like it's a it's a, a, a couple of day thing. You can't help but get so excited about that to figure out how to help the next person behind them. Yeah, it's true. It's true. What keeps it that's why people want to get into nonprofit. Okay. Two lightning questions. Okay. And then I'm gonna have you talk about, you know, your organization because I feel like people should know what they do, what you do, and maybe give you some money at the end of the well, the three people who are listening. <laughs> um, maybe one of them could write you a big check. Who knows? I heard this one before and I like this one a lot. If you could steal anything in any of the museums around the world and get away with it, what would you steal? Oh, God. That's, um, uh, maybe the Hope Diamond. Oh. I mean, it's already cursed. Let's see. <laughs> we can break the curse, and I just think it's beautiful. And <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it. Your, your wife would be happy because finally she'd get her diamond. Finally. Exactly. Because she, let, let me just tell you, her ring does not look like the Hope Diamond. Let's just be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let, you know what? Let's hope. Let's hope. Yeah. Um, and if tonight, you had a restaurant, so I'm curious, if tonight is your final meal on earth, tomorrow we're electrocuting you in the chair for stealing that diamond, what is your final meal? What are you asking them to bring to yourself? Well, first I would require that it be my wife that made it because she's the best cook in the entire world. It's the reason I'm not Slim Jim anymore. But um, <laughs> Very nice of you. <laughs> she has probably a handful of my favorite things in the world. So maybe I'd ask her to make all six. So she makes an eggplant parmesan. Eggplant just is gross in the rest of the world. And she makes it in such a way that you just want to cry. 
So maybe wow. that some garlic bread. Wow. Well, you know, I haven't been in battle over to your house, and every time I feel like I am, there's a flake happening. Right. But um, <laughs> but maybe if this ever happens, she's gonna make that. I I'm in. I'm totally in. I mean, sure, I've heard that before too. So I mean, I've known gotcha. you for years by wait, now. Wait, so. you're breaking up. I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so take it away. Tell our listener a little bit about New Horizons and why they should give you some money. Well, first of all, you should be giving me money, but that's another whole story. Oh, okay, okay. So New Horizons, it's an amazing organization. So we serve about 1,500 people with disabilities. It's everything you can think of to make a life like yours and mine. So it's where people live, how they interact with each other, where do they work, What's, what are their aspirations? Can they use transportation on their own? We try to look at the person as a whole person to really think about, if you didn't have a disability, what would you be doing and how do I help you achieve that? So we have 13 group homes. We have a primary location that is about seven and a half acres. And we are looking at opening our own social enterprises, some businesses that our clients will learn to train in, but that are in the community. And I want you to come because if I'm opening a restaurant, it's the best one in the area. If I'm opening up a retail store, it's because damn it, you should be there and this is gonna be great. So I, I think um, New Horizons does what it does exceptionally well. I have seen such change in the lives of not only the people with disabilities, so you see their lives change, but often families, if you have somebody in your life who has a, a pretty severe or profound disability, it really limits you as well. You don't travel as much. You're not able to maybe work as many hours as you'd like, or one person has to stay home. Our job is to help create a safe atmosphere so the family can also have a more normal life as well. I love it. And what do you need? If I can write you a check right now, what do you need? Everything from uh, trying to work on our campus. So without clients on there, we're working on campus beautification. So some of these uh, classrooms, because they're always used, never get cleaned and painted. And we're rehauling, overhauling everything. So we could certainly use money for that. We have a 13th group home that's just opening that we are going to create a Zen center in the back. So we're going to be fundraising for that. So like some of our clients don't really understand that a carrot comes from the ground. I want them to plant seeds and to harvest it and then have an area to go by a waterfall and just relax and enjoy themselves. I see that there is an opportunity for us to create a different kind of a housing model where it's much more transitional. So if you're a young adult and you want to live on your own eventually, where we can really train you to work and live independently. So to create a model that really isn't so dependent just on funding. When you have money that's not earmarked, you can really say, what does the person need to succeed? Anyway, yes, we always need money and I've always got my hand out. <laughs> I, I love it. That's why I uh, walk the other way when I see you. Right. Exactly. Uh, no uh, eye contact. I, it's no sort eye contact. of like the, the star syndrome. You won't look me in the eye and it's not good. Well, as I said, what we're doing on Zoom is we're staring at ourselves. I haven't even looked at you the whole time. So. <laughs> Thank you, John, so much for joining us today and the like, you know, three or two listeners that are left and uh, really helping me on my first podcast. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have an incredible day. Hey, Ashley, how are you? Hey, Matt, surviving. Uh, so Ashley is our producer on this show, heavily paid producer on this show, taking out all the ums and trying to make me sound, you know, Kind of smart for the. Again. You know, Matt. I there's a uh, a life that I am accustomed to, and you're keeping me in the lap of luxury with what you're paying me. <laughs> well, we'll see if, if maybe we'll do like three or four of these episodes. Maybe, maybe that will be people. I don't know. We'll see how many we get. So you hold on to that. You hold on to that ten dollars. Um, but I want. Don't spend you. it all in one place. <laughs> right. So I wanna I wanna thank you for making me sound. I don't know somewhat interesting. And I also want to thank John so much for joining us today. 
um, and for, you know, really kicking ass on our first podcast. What do you think, Ashley? How's it do? I think you guys did a great job. I thought it was a great first podcast, and it'll only take me like 18 hours of editing to get it to sound like somewhat passable. So, <laughs> fantastic. I appreciate that, and uh, I hope you're really excited because our next episode is going to be when we're talking to Rachel Fine, who is the executive director and CEO of the Wallace Theater in Beverly Hills.